Hey, uh, this is E.A. Gamore. Thank you so much for clicking play and joining the Unpacking Africa podcast, where I explore ecosystems in our communities and figure out ish on the African continent. Join in, follow at 4IR Africa on social media, and let's stay engaged. Learning Journeys. This episode engages three African professionals, two of whom are PhD candidates, Zintle, a measurement and evaluation practitioner in South Africa, Kwabana, a collaborator on Pan-African education ecosystems in the United States, and Fauzia, an international development consultant in the United Kingdom. We get a snapshot into their perspectives on the challenges the pandemic has presented in their own academic lives, as well as their students, paint points in digital access on education systems, and the opportunity in future casting post-COVID-19 educational journeys that highlight solutions among likely allies cross-collaborative programs with universities on the African continent and historically Black colleges and universities in the United States of America, as an example. During this edition, you might as well grab a cup, lean back, and lean in to their intriguing insights. My name is Zintlem Kavela. I was born and raised in a township called Elukwadini in the Bumalanga province in South Africa. I moved to Johannesburg to start high school in 2004, and aside from some brief periods where I've lived outside of South Africa, I've mostly lived in Johannesburg ever since. Thanks for joining the Unpacking Africa podcast. What's your current role and where in Joburg do you currently work, Sinclair? At the moment, I work with an education nonprofit called New Leaders Foundation. I am a monitoring and evaluation associate in the advisory services team, and our work is largely focused on providing systemic interventions and insights to the basic education system, which leverage research, data, technology-enabled solutions, and capability building. One of our primary goals is to develop a culture and practice of evidence used to drive decision-making in the sector. We have a wide range of clients, including government, particularly the Department of Basic Education, nonprofit organizations, funders, and corporate social investors. Educational journeys are always fascinating. What's your personal educational journey? Where and what did you study? Alongside my work in an education nonprofit environment, I'm currently a PhD student in the Department of Development Studies at the University of the Witwatersrand, or WITS as we so fondly call it. I am the recipient of a fellowship grant from the THINK project, where THINK is an acronym for Transforming the Humanities Through Interdisciplinary Knowledge, which is a mouthful. My research is focused on narratives of empowerment, and I'm curious about the common sense, universalized logic that educating and empowering poor black and brown girls from the global south is the most efficient solution to end poverty. For a bit of context, there's this narrative or discourse within international development which says, amongst other things, that one of the best things developing countries can do to drive economic development is to educate their girls because investing in girls leads to higher returns. The gendered and racialized underpinnings of this narrative mean that girls, particularly black African girls, are constructed and represented in very specific ways to motivate and inspire us to act and to mobilize resources. I'm interested in the effects of the discourse and their genders and logics that drive and sustain it on black African girls' lives. I'm still in the proposal development stage of my PhD and looking forward to submitting it for examination so I can move on to the next phase. That's impressive. I won't go into the details of the earlier parts of my education journey, but for the sake of completeness, I also hold a Bachelor of Laws degree and had a brief stint as a candidate attorney working in the field of intellectual property law. My BA undergrad is in law and international relations. What made you decide to get a doctoral degree? 
I think there are multiple reasons which ultimately converged with securing some funding and it finally feeling like the appropriate time for me to pursue the degree. I guess I've always enjoyed reading, writing, and thinking through life. I have built a life around pursuing my curiosity, deepening my knowledge, sharpening my skills to solve problems, all in an effort to make a significant contribution to the world. I also come from a family of great teachers, musicians, and poets who I truly believe would have been great thinkers, contributing to shaping our world, had it not been for apartheid and the restrictions it placed on black bodies, black lives, and black dreams. So when I think of my family, the sacrifices that have been made, the loss, I know I have to work hard and be my best to realize our collective dreams. How have you been dealing with the pandemic? Things were very difficult in the beginning. I'm a person who thrives on routine. I have specific daily rituals that keep me on track, and many of those things happen outdoors. In the first couple of weeks of lockdown, I really struggled with anxiety. In dealing with this pandemic, I've had to learn how to move through my day in new ways that are still healthy and allow me to stay relatively focused. This has meant focusing more on having compassion for myself and others. I still schedule things, create lists, and set goals, but it's a global pandemic, guys, and we're all carrying our collective grief in different ways. So I really am trying not to put too much pressure on myself. What does a typical day for you look like? I am fortunate to be able to work from home. So on a typical good day, I'm up by 5 or 6 a.m. I spend an hour writing. Usually this would be working on my PhD proposal. I then do some form of exercise for 20 to 30 minutes. And then I shower, have breakfast and get ready to start my 9 to 5. My work is research intensive, so I spend a lot of time at my desk reading and writing. Our M&E practice is engaged in a lot of business development at the moment, so I've been doing a lot of grant proposal writing. Depending on what projects we're working on and the priorities for a particular day, I may have a couple of check-in calls with my team and some of our clients. Client engagement often looks like giving progress updates, facilitating workshops in a particular aspect of M&E, and being engaged in some form of problem solving or scenario planning. Obviously, during this time, all of this takes place online. Because COVID has had major implications for schooling and the basic education sector, we have been doing a lot of problem solving and scenario planning, especially with the Department of Basic Education, as they continue to build their strategy for a phased approach to reopening schools in ways that are safe for teachers, learners, and other education stakeholders. Because I have a part-time slash flexible arrangement with my organization, I usually spend the latter parts of the week and my weekends working on my PhD. That involves more reading and writing and check-ins with my supervisor. You sound like an incredibly busy person. In your view, what are some of the pressing educational practitioners' challenges during this time? Similar to other parts of the world, one of the major implications of the pandemic on the education system has been school closure. So one of the pressing challenges at the moment is how to reopen schools safely and also how to save the academic year. Schools, universities and other higher education institutions have been relying on learners and students being able to cover curriculum content online. However, in our context, with the legacy of racial segregation and discrimination that continues to have economic and social effects, Digital learning is worsening existing inequalities. Many learners or students, and even educators themselves, do not have access to the digital technology and resources required for them to keep up with the academic year. And these experiences in South Africa are very often racialized. 
I also think we underestimate the manner in which the shift to digital learning in the context of our homes also has gendered effects. We know that women continue to bear the brunt of social reproductive labor in our society. Women carry a disproportionate burden of domestic work, child and elderly care. And this has been further compounded by the lockdown and current approaches to digital learning. I read in a recent article about how some of this plays out in the academy. While male academics are expressing that the pandemic and consequent lockdown has enabled them to be more productive, they're writing articles, publishing more. Women in academia have found themselves crippled and burdened with additional duties of care. And in a space where productivity and publications mean career progression, women are finding themselves to be on the back foot. So these are some of the challenges that require us as education practitioners to respond in ways that are empathetic and don't serve to deepen existing inequalities. Teachers and educators are everyday heroes. How can we help meet some of the challenges of families with children during and even after the coronavirus? I think we all need to begin to adjust our expectations. We can't be burdening the home with what is ultimately business as usual, just migrated online. We need to continue to be aware of structural dynamics of power existing inequalities, and how these operate in our homes and in our communities, and then begin to respond in ways that do not continue to cause harm. Our problems are complex, and they require complex and nuanced responses. At an organizational level, this means not relying on the efforts of individuals to fix challenges that are structural and systemic. In other words, individual parents and educators cannot be expected to be the solution to help facilitate learning through often inaccessible mediums, whilst also addressing and bridging the gaps amongst learners, which have been caused by decades of inequality. Systemic problems need systemic solutions. Thank you. That's incredibly insightful. What advice do you have for those of us trying to navigate our own learning journeys during the coronavirus epidemic? I really like the fact that you say learning journeys as opposed to perhaps academic or professional journeys. Learning is open and can unfold in a myriad of different ways. I like to tell people to follow their curiosity and to lean into their questions. It's really questions that drive the little engine of my life, and I have found that exploring these has led me to some really amazing experiences. I think it's important that you do things and follow paths that you find fulfilling, bearing in mind that you can be multiple things at once. You really have to suck the marrow out of life. Otherwise, what is it all for? To the future, what do you look forward to the most? Before Corona shook our lives, I was really looking forward to turning 30 this year. I had planned a year of travel, taking off a bunch of items on my bucket list, and celebrating in ways that honor my journey. Now, I don't even know what the word future means or what it holds. I just live each day as it comes, to be honest, and give my best to everything that I am privileged to apply myself to. Yeah, that sounds like everybody's plan at the moment. What are the ways in which we can stay connected and updated with the work you do? I tweet occasionally at Zintle underscore MK, that's Z-I-N-H-L-E underscore MK. I write and blog very reluctantly at bravebrownwonder.com. And like most people, I have documented my professional journey on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Zintle. Wishing you all the success in all your endeavors. Thanks, Emmanuel. We now switch gears and head all the way to the United States where we speak with a Pan-Africanist, someone who's keen on collaboration, but has a grand, big idea in the ways of connecting Africa's education system with those in the Africa diaspora and beyond. My full name is Kwabna Isiyama Boaten. 
I'm from a small town in Ghana called Insutem, which literally means the middle of the waters. But I currently live in Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States. My name speaks to who I am. It speaks to my essence. Uh, from Kwabna, I get a fiercely compassionate masculine Tuesday soul. Isiama for the people. Boaten, one who has come to help set right. That's awesome. I was born on Tuesday and I am a Kwabna also. Can you kindly share with our listeners what your current role is? I'm founder and president of African Diaspora Nation. African Diaspora Nation is a culturally responsible pan-human sustainable development organization. We prioritize human capital development and transnational leadership development in Africa and its diaspora. Uh, Within this context, we see HBCUs, the African Union, United Nations, tech companies, NGOs, and governments as priority partners of choice in delivering our mandate. We are a solution platform, ultimately, that networks the best of the educational, innovative, entrepreneurial, economic, and cultural engines of the African diaspora to Africa, thereby creating solutions that are mutually rewarding within the prioritized goals of the UN Awesome. Kindly share your educational background. My personal education journey started at home, you know, growing up in Akuse, Kosombo. So attending Akuse grade school, it was a VRE school, Akusombo International School. The education journey for me was, you know, capturing the essential jewels of the institution. So Akusombo International School, I came to appreciate truth as light and the value of being truthful. At Achimota School, I came to appreciate the value of diversity and inclusiveness through that great motto, Ut Omnus Unum Sent, which simply translates to that all may be one. We are one in essence. We are evolving into a oneness, and that is something that engages my energy and efforts, even through the work that I do. What made you decide to champion Africa Diaspora Nation and HBCU Africa Homecoming? I study people as agents of universal evolution. I study the context and spaces into which they are placed and the processes by which their agency is activated. Uh, How they come to synthesis in identity formation, vocational clarity, relational integrity, and community impact. All these along the dimensions of the sustainable development goal. In brief, I study education, leadership, and meaningful impact in an unbound universal framework. My ultimate purpose is to contribute to the liberation of the global African spirit and by extension, the human spirit. And I will keep going back to this as evident uh, along select dimensions of the UNSDGs. The educational process is a critical enabler for that. HBCUs are the African Diaspora Citadel of Education for Empowerment Education. And African Diaspora Nations HBC Africa Homecoming Initiative is the vehicle for networking those opportunities, challenges, and capital that you find in the African diaspora in all its forms to the opportunities and challenges in Africa. I believe unimaginable value will be unleashed when we do this. I know this because I became a part of the African diaspora when I attended college in the U.S. And I realized that a huge gap exists between Africa and its diaspora. That gap also presents an opportunity for God-sized value creation and tangible impact. 
Sounds pretty audacious. Kobna, what does a day in your life look like? My typical day? Well, with my North Star in mind, I go with the flow. I can't say I have a very rigorous routine. I'm an easygoing guy. I work for myself. I go with the flow while trying to balance the demands of fatherhood and husband. In your experience, what are some of the pressing challenges that education practitioners face? Pressing education practitioners challenge. Real innovative frameworks for teaching. The right tools. Dealing with the dysfunctional politics in the case of public institutions, financial resources, that's always a constant, and a truly global and multicultural perspective in education. Now, with all this we've seen with coronavirus and the virtual shift, I believe these things should help. Now, for teachers and education workers, how we help meet some of the challenges of families with children so, uh, in this current context, I think we should architect Take advantage of this opportunity and architect a world order, which puts some respect on these heroes. Respect expressed in tangible remuneration. We need to build more virtual experiences and tools which engage body, mind, and spirit of everyone. We should all be lifelong students anyway. But most important of all, providing the innovation framework, tech tool, innovative curriculum and programming that significantly improves the conversion efficiency of the education process in terms of transcendent outcome. Obna, what insights do you have for folks trying to navigate our own learning journey during this coronavirus epidemic? I think the coronavirus pandemic is a unique opportunity for self-reflection and deep thought. Learning should never end. There is always more room for expansion of consciousness regarding who one is, who you are as a subject and also an object within the social, environmental, global, and universal context. Find an opportunity to serve in an area you care deeply about. Seek to understand root causes in that area. Embrace the creative and potent power of agency within yourself, within a context of if not now, when, if not as who. No, that context of I'm part of the solution or change I have been waiting for. Envision the future with a solution in place and how it maps to the UNSDGs. Then your North Star shall appear with clarity. And this should arouse your passion and energies and you bring in context and focus to your learning, which is nothing if not part of a chain of careful thought, plans, and action for impact. Consider learning as a flow state. Having the ability to invoke that flow within a context of impact is more important than learning as a destination with designations such as BS, MS, PhD, and all that. Embrace that part of you that is an agent of universal evolution. Always think like there is no book. Understand the context and spaces into which you are born and placed and be culturally responsible. Those are the insights I have to offer. I couldn't agree more. Looking forward, Futurecast, what do you look forward to? What am I looking forward to in the future? An experiential space known as an HBC Africa Innovation City in Ghana, serving as an anchor to a global borderless digital city known as the African Renaissance City. A monumental place symbolizing our enlightened present and future, as well as the world-class solutions and processes that close the gap between the present and the future. The future we want as Africans and the African diaspora. Really. In which ways can our listeners stay connected with you and the work that you do? I'll say uh, our website, 
www.africandiasporanation.org and at African Diaspora Nation on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, our organizational framework and plan of action for getting there can be accessed by subscribing at www.organizingforafrica.today. Organizing with a Z for Africa.today. Thank you, Kwabana. Thanks again for the opportunity, Emmanuel. It's been a pleasure, my namesake. Our last conversation is with Fauzia, who is an academic in the United Kingdom, and she works as a teaching assistant with students all across the world. My name is Fauzia Isaka. I'm from Ghana, and I'm currently based here. I'm an international development professional, and I am pursuing a doctoral degree in development studies in the UK. Excellent. Thanks for joining Unpacking Africa, Fauzia. What made you decide to pursue a doctoral degree? Education and the pursuit of higher education have always been very important to me. I completed my MA degree several years ago, also in development studies, and I have been working since. However, I chose to go back to school for a PhD recently, so that has been interesting. Interest in the sense of having to make the transition back to academia. How things are dealt with working as a practitioner in a non-academic setting and operating fully in the world of academia are not always the same. That being said, I anticipated this as I had to go through a similar period of transition when I finished my MA and worked full-time as a practitioner for an international development agency. What made you decide on this continuous learning journey? In terms of my motivations for pursuing a doctoral degree. I have always wanted to get a doctoral degree. I enjoy the research process and I believe the degree will open further doors for me professionally. I'm also using this opportunity to really deepen my research skills and to engage in further learning. How have you been balancing work, academia, and your professional life? I'm fortunate that I was able to return home before borders closed, so it has made it more manageable to deal with the pandemic. Personally and professionally, it is not too bad on my end, relatively speaking. There have been some academic challenges because some key trainings intended to support our learning have been canceled. I also don't have access to library books and other resources to support my studies. Uh, that's been a bit of a challenge, and it's unfortunate that some schools are not compensating students for the reduced access to university services. The reality is that we are now all undertaking distance education, more or less, but this is not the quote-unquote contract we initially signed, and this should be recognized and certain compensations made in this regard. That's an interesting observation. I've seen quite a number of students from business school make a similar complaint. What is a typical day for you like? I try to begin each day with a workout. I then get ready for the day which generally consists of a period of reflection before jumping into things. Work-wise, I may have some teaching responsibilities for the MA students that I teach and or hold office hours for. This is all done virtually, of course. I also spend a few hours each day making progress in my PhD journey. This usually involves either some reading, analysis, writing, or sometimes all three in a day. Then there are the tasks at home that also need to be taken care of, along with checking in with family and friends, especially during this period. As an educational practitioner, what are some of the challenges you feel you and your colleagues face? 
It's interesting. I would not necessarily label myself an education practitioner, uh, perhaps because this is not my full-time occupation. I'm not sure I can do justice in responding to this question, but what I will say is that the online teaching is quite different from in-person teaching, and it's simply not the same experience. There is something unique about engaging with students in person. In some cases, we have adapted some of the approaches to learning, given that it would not work as well using an online platform. Furthermore, not all students may feel as comfortable engaging in this kind of platform, so it sometimes makes engagement a challenge. A key concern that has come up in the media is the worry that some parents have regarding whether they're doing enough to ensure that their child or children are kept up to date with what they're supposed to learn. Some parents feel that they do not have the skills to adequately homeschool their kids on specific topics or that they do not have the time to do so. This has led some parents to express concern about the possibility of their child or children falling behind in their studies and the fear that they may not excel in order to advance to the next grade when the next academic year rolls around. If there is a way to support, encourage, and or assure these parents, I think that would go a long way. While saying this, I'm also mindful that many people have an immense amount on their plate, so I recognize that this may be easier said than done. Fair points all around. Fazia, what are some insights you have for folks trying to navigate our own learning journeys during this time period? In terms of insights for those trying to navigate their own learning journeys, especially during this time, what I can say is to be patient with yourself while being proactive where possible. We're clearly not operating in, quote unquote, ordinary times, and many of us are adjusting to the current nature of learning, which is by no means a fair substitute for the face-to-face learning, which I've already mentioned. Teaching online is certainly not the same, um, and I think the face-to-face is much more enriching, but we're all making do given the current pandemic. There is definitely value, in my opinion, in students connecting and building networks among peers when everyone is able to spend time together in the same location. The online mode of learning can limit some of these opportunities, but I would encourage people to set up virtual meetings to engage in some of these processes, whether it is to reflect on particular topics, to provide peer training in particular areas, to discuss challenges, etc. Something to keep the interactions going beyond the formal classroom because these networks, the sharing of ideas and exchanging perspectives are invaluable in addition to the formal learning that takes place in the classroom. If you're undertaking research at this time, I think it also goes without saying that it would be prudent to factor in some of the limitations that you may encounter during the current pandemic and put some contingencies in place ahead of time. A constant feature of this podcast is the opportunity for me to ask my guests to future cast. So what are you looking forward to? I'm learning to enjoy the gift of the present, but I also look forward to what the future may bring. In light of the social distancing protocols during this time, I'm very much looking forward to reconnecting with those near and dear in person. I'm also looking forward to being able to engage in social activities when the time is appropriate and it's safe to do so. 
of course, I'm also looking forward to completing my PhD and uh, to seeing how I grow in this journey. The journey has its ups and downs, but it will be a wonderful accomplishment once it is done. There are more things that I'm looking forward to, of course, but I'll park my answer here for now. Makes a lot of sense, Razia. In which ways can our audience connect with you? To be honest, I don't have a strong social media presence, but that may change in the coming months. At the moment, LinkedIn is perhaps the best way to stay connected. Duly noted. Do you have any last words for us? In terms of additional insights, I find it interesting that there is an overall assumption that everyone can sit online for hours to receive their education during this time, forgetting that internet service is not free and there are varying degrees of internet quality. I often also think about the primary school children and even the junior high school students in a country like Ghana who do not have access to computers or laptops and internet to continue their education at this time. Moreover, some of these parents may not be literate enough to homeschool the children. What is happening to these students' education? Will their schools return to where they left off before this pandemic? Or will they continue on the assumption that all kids have been homeschooled? I think we need to give some consideration to the widening inequalities that are taking place and how we address some of these concerns. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, Fauzia. Education is near and dear to my heart. And I've enjoyed the comparative lens that each of our guests have used, picking from their own professional lives, their learning journeys, their expectations, and their empathy, particularly for teachers and family members. There are still millions of young and old learners who are not able to attend institutions for face-to-face learning. There are some interventions that are working. There's some innovations that we're seeing happen, and some of us are trying to fill in the gap. In subsequent episodes, I'll share some of the things that we've been able to do on the continent that makes most sense. We're looking to collaborate with you globally. Send us an email, collaborate with us, reach out to us. We would love to figure out learning journeys for the best outcomes for all our students. This is the time where information is truly critical and enables us to uplift our communities economically. Until the next episode, subscribe, send a message, be well, be safe be loved. Thank you so much for clicking play and joining the Unpacking Africa podcast, where I explore ecosystems in our communities and figure out ish on the African continent. Join in, follow at 4IR Africa on social media, and let's stay engaged. <laughs>